0: last week I talked to you about modern idolatry and the upshot of it was that in our society right now we have turned government into an idol people turn to government for things that they should turn to God and this is something that's happened all through the Bible so we are not unique and we are not new we are following along with everybody else and Once an institution gets turned into an idol, the people who are supposed to serve that institution use it for their own greed. In Scripture, the priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, all of those folks would turn the temple to their own profit. And once that happens, since idolatry is covetousness, this institution, very often one established by God, was made into an idol. Now, what I'm going to suggest to you is we have done the same thing with government. So the people who are supposed to be the stewards of government have turned government into a source of their own profit. So they're using the government to enrich themselves instead of for the purpose to which it was originally designed. And in that sense, it's then become an idol because it serves greed as opposed to serving the purpose for which it was originally designed. That's last week's sermon. And if you want to hear the details, it's recorded and you can do that. What I'm going to suggest to you is the battlefield in the war on idolatry is public policy in the United States right now. Because every time somebody has a problem they turn to government to set up a policy to fix things and so what I'm suggesting to you is public policy then becomes the battleground for the war on idolatry. That's where we're going. Now, the other thing I promised to teach this time is the principles of war. And you say, why are you teaching the principles of war in church? I was listening to Ron Dart this week and he was talking about creation. Everything in creation is made after its own kind so you have the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and all that they're all made after their own kind and everything is made after its own kind except people we are not made after our own kind we are made after the image of God one of the things that it says in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 3 is the Lord is a man of war the Lord is his name so if we are made in his image I will suggest that we should be men of war as well and in fact there are two instances where someone is called a man of war I just read you the first one the second one is David David is also called a man of war so David and God are both referred to as men of war in the Bible the only two that are furthermore David is also referred to as a man after God's own heart. Saul is rejected as king because Saul failed in warfare. Saul was told to go out and slaughter all, I think the Amalekites, I don't remember, one of thoseites. I don't remember which one right off the top of my head. He was told to go out and slaughter them all. Get rid of them. He didn't do it. And because of that failure in warfare, Saul was rejected from being king. So what I'm suggesting to you is teaching warfare is entirely appropriate in church. Everybody understand what we're doing here? Now, as I was saying, I've referred to this book, Rules for Reformers. It's quite good by a guy named Doug Wilson. And I'm going to use some of his examples just because they're very good. I've just read them recently. So, he uses a metaphor, which I liked. This world is like a ramshackle house. And it's been that way since we ate the fruit. In other words, the place has been a mess ever since. God has periodically sanded it off and rebuilt it, but it remains a mess. And he says there's three groups of people that are occupying this mess of a world of this ramshackle house. The first group, which is most people, just want to make their room livable. In other words, all right, this whole house is ramshackle and falling down, but I'm going to make my room where I live with my family the best that I can make it. I'm going to renovate this little part of it. And by the way, that's good. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Group number two looks at this ramshackle house and says, all right. This can't be renovated. The only thing we can do is burn it down flat and start from the beginning, start over again. That's group number two, and that group is the enemy. Group number three looks at this house and says, all right, it's a real ramshackle mess, but if we roll up our sleeves and we get in there, we can go ahead and fix things up for everybody and we can work on it and we can you know, get the windows fixed, we can get the lawn fixed, we can patch the roof and it will be better for everybody. That's the group we want to be in. Those are the reformers. Now the group in the middle that I talked about, the ones that say burn it all down start over. Those are going to be resisted by both group one who wants to make their little part of it as best they can wait a minute, we don't want you to burn the whole thing down. We've got our little part of it that's pretty good and pretty livable. And of course, the reformers don't want to do that because we know that building something up anew in the image of these people is going to be worse than it is now. The vision that they have for this new house that they want to build doesn't work. So group three, the reformers don't want to do that. Group 1 doesn't want to do that either, so Group 2, the ones who want to burn everything down, have to lie about their goals. Because if they stand up and say, we're going to tear everything down and start over, Groups 1 and Group 3 are going to say, whoa, no way Jose. So they have to lie. And that's what we're seeing today in this country. You've got people burning stuff down And they are lying about their motives. What they really want to do is destroy it all and start over. And if you read their documents, you can find that out. But that's not what you see on the news. We just want to establish justice for whatever group is oppressed at the moment. Right now, I think it's black lies, but it varies, it changes. But those are lies that's not what they want to do, what they want to do is burn it all down and start over and their primary weapon is accusation what they do is they scream and rage at you and they accuse you of stuff in scripture who's the accuser? Satan is the accuser of the brethren, right? so what they're doing is they are screaming at you and accusing you of all sorts of bad stuff in order to obtain their objectives And what I will suggest to you is the idea of tearing all of this down and building it over in the image of some man, which is what it would happen, is a satanic enterprise. Everybody understand what I just said? That's my thesis here. And what we want to do is be the ones that are trying to improve everything for everybody. And by the way, we are going to be hated by both Groups 1 and Group 2. Group 2 is going to hate us because we don't have the same vision they do. Group 1 is going to hate us and says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. I've got my little part of this that's pretty good. Don't go messing and changing the wallpaper. I like my wallpaper. It's got American flags on it and it's got pictures and crosses. And all, don't, you, don't, 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 don't mess with anything. So both groups 1 and group 2 are going to hate us. Get used to it. Get used to it. Can I get a slide? Those are the principles of war. Now, different countries have slight variations on that. The United States Army, for example, adds simplicity. Um, Mass can also be concentration. There are variations on it, but those will do. So the first one is the objective. What are you trying to do with this battle? What's the goal? Now, for our purposes, the goal is obviously bring glory to God well that's kind of cool but it's kind of big so what we may do is oh we'll bring glory to God by setting up an initiative that bans abortion after 20 weeks so the idea is to do something that brings glory to God but the objective we're working on right now has got to be much smaller otherwise we can't do it so if your objective is to go in and convert all of New York City you've probably bit off more than you could chew. But you might want to go start a soup kitchen in New York City. A smaller objective. So the objective ought to be something that you can do with the resources that you have. The next one is offensive, which is going on offense. And with the exception of baseball, which is a weird sport, you gotta have the ball in order to score. Baseball is the other way around. So what you have to do is you have to be willing to attack, to take the battle to the enemy. You have to be willing to move forward. I've got mass up here. Another word for it is concentration. Let's take an army metaphor. You've all seen pictures of 19th century warfare where everybody's got his musket and is marching along shoulder to shoulder, right? Well... One way to do it is got those guys that are marching at you shoulder to shoulder and you're marching at them shoulder to shoulder and you've both got a hundred men in line and you hit boom. You may win, they may win depending on how many people each of you kill. That's actually really kind of stupid warfare. What you really want to do is you want to have a few of your guys coming at them and then the rest of your guys coming around from the side so you hit them in a concentrated way at a place where they're weak. That's called mass or concentration. In other words, you want to have a decisive advantage at the decisive place, not everywhere. If you try to have a decisive advantage everywhere, unless you're God himself, you're not going to win the next one is mobility or maneuver you gotta be able to move if you stand there what you become is a target and one of the things that happens is people get into a fortress and don't move and what that means is the enemy is out there got all this room to maneuver and they can bring in more people and they can bring in siege engines and they do all that stuff and you're not moving at all and you're just a target so you gotta be able to move or maneuver. Security. You gotta be able to protect your force. Now that includes reaching out and putting out guards. That includes disrupting them so they can't see you. There's all sorts of things, but the point is you gotta be able to protect your force. Surprise, deception. Do I have both the surprise and deception up there? Nope, just surprise. Uh, deception is also part of it by the way. Deception is, a, is incredibly important. Let me give you a biblical example. Gideon. Gideon has got his, what, 300 guys? Far, far fewer than the Midianites. So what Gideon does is sneaks up on them at night. He's got everybody that's got a torch inside of a jar. 300 guys against this whole valley full of Midianites. And at the proper moment, they all break their jars, wave their torches, and say, For God for Gideon! And the Midianites think that they're surrounded. They are surprised, and they are deceived. And they are confused, and then they turn to fighting among themselves. So that's surprise or deception. Cooperation. You've got to work together and that's cooperation within the body here and cooperation with other people who are on the same team. So for example, in our example of abortion, Catholic Church is an ally, not a unit I want to serve in. I don't want to be a Catholic, but they're an ally. And so as we are working on, for example, this thing with abortion, we need to cooperate with them and vice versa communication. You got to be able to talk to each other. Last thing you want to do is just sort of give somebody a set of directions and then forget about them. You need to keep talking in order to be able to do something. Economy of force. That one's a little difficult. What that means is, again, back to our line metaphor, you know, two armies in lines crunching toward each other. What you very often will do in that situation is you will have a small force that will attack and harass their larger force while your main force is maneuvering around to hit them from the side. That's what's called economy of force. So what you have is a small force holding or fixing or something while the rest of your force is doing something different. And then finally, pursuit. And what that means is when you win, you don't sit on your blessed assurance and say, Ah, we got it no what you do is you pursue you harass you kill you destroy and you prevent them from regrouping and you keep going after them until they're utterly destroyed so now let me give you examples of all this and I'm going to use the Messiah himself Christ to illustrate each one of those points of war looking at his ministry and life while he was on the earth and I will show you that he used Well, not all of them, because I don't have examples for all, but he actually did use them all. So the first, his objective, what was his objective? His objective is he came to set the captives free. The reason for the incarnation is that he came to set the captives free. The offensive, offensive, is the incarnation itself. So when he became a man and dwelt among us, he took the Offensive. That's when he went into the enemy camp and he's attacking mass all of his assets are deployed you got the Sun and you got the spirit maybe hey, that's a pretty good set of assets right but he deployed everything maneuver he outflanked the temple authorities time after time after time they would try and catch him in mistakes he would... I'll argue them. They tried to get him for healing on Shabbat. He, he just sort of messed with their minds on Shabbat. You know, walking through the field and having his disciples pick grain, healing the man with a withered arm. That's all examples of maneuver where he's doing stuff that just has them completely off balance. They never can get a beat on him. Deception. Our Lord, your deception. Yeah, he did. In the New Testament, those are called mysteries. Paul and Peter both talk about mysteries, things that were not known. So the mystery, one of them, was that his death, burial, and resurrection was going to serve as atonement for all sin. That they weren't expecting. Furthermore his death, burial, and resurrection was going to allow the Gentiles to come into the kingdom of God it was going to make us all sons and daughters of the king they weren't expecting that and oh by the way he didn't announce it beforehand this was stuff that was a surprise to them he was deceiving them so when they saw him they recognized who he was He's the son in the air. Remember, we had in the book of Mark two weeks ago the parable of the vine dressers in the rented field, where the owner of the field kept sending servants to get some of the fruit, and the vine dressers kept beating up the so And he finally says, I'll send my beloved son, they'll respect him. And what do they say? Aha! This is the heir. We'll kill him, and then the vineyard will be ours. And that's how Satan looked at Yeshua. This is the heir. We got him. So what we're going to do is we're going to lay hands on the heir, we're going to kill the heir and then the vineyard, all of this, is going to belong to us. Total deception because what he did is he came with the intention of being crucified because he knew and God knew what the result of that was going to be but he deceived his enemies as to what was going to happen and they thought if we kill this guy we're going to get rid of him and the vineyard's going to be ours deception surprise the mysteries and so forth were a total surprise to the principalities and powers they didn't expect it at all and then finally pursuit why didn't he pursue because he didn't he left us here. You've got to go back to Israel and the land. You remember when God was speaking to Abraham and he says, I'm going to give your descendants this land for an eternal possession. But your descendants are going to go down into Egypt and they're going to be slaves and all that kind of stuff for a while before they get the possession remember why he said that was to be the case? because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full which is to say the people in the land I know where it's going but it isn't there yet and in this world God knows where it's going but it's not there yet so just as it was going to be some 400 years between the promise and the time that Joshua led the nation into the land, so we are living in a time between the promise and when Yeshua leads his armies into the land. So pursuit is something that is yet to happen. But again, notice if you look at his life and ministry from the perspective of the principles of war, it's all there. Remember, God is a man of war. We didn't invent these principles, He did. We just get to use them. Right now let's talk about us. I asked Titus to pay attention to the Isaiah passage because the Isaiah passage describes our situation today, precisely. So, I'm going to read chunks of it. Isaiah 1.7 Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Does that sound like Portland to you? Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate, as overthrown by foreigners. Can you say Chinese? We have enemies out there, and our enemies have infiltrated us and devoured the land, and our cities are being burned with fire. Verse 14, Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. How many of our own children have we killed? Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Those are two things. One is stop what you're doing. And the other is do something else. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead to the widow's case. Down to verse 22 your silver has become dross your best wine mixed with water can anybody say currency devaluation? our silver has become dross our government just printed 3 billions nice soft fluffy absorbent dollar bills and they are worth about that much just like toilet paper our silver has become dross your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless and the widow's cause does not come to them. Can you say a two-tiered system of justice where those who are favored don't get prosecuted and those who are not favored do? Can you say the stewards of the government have turned it into their own cash cow which is what we talked about last time so who's Isaiah talking to us or Israel down to 26 this is where hope starts I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning afterward you shall be called the city of righteousness the faithful city Zion shall be redeemed by justice, and those in her who repent by righteousness. There's your objective statement, principles of war. Our objective is to restore justice. That's the objective. Now, that's a big objective. It's a big country. Remember, I said the objective should be small and measurable. Well, one of the things that we are doing, is, and I applaud Patricia, Tom, Aaron, all that you worked on and all you signed, you've been working to restore justice to those who are not born. And furthermore, one of the problems we had we, you guys did it, I didn't, one of the problems that we had was that there were groups that were ostensibly on our side that says, wait a minute, if it doesn't involve all abortion, we won't support it. Well, getting people to vote against all abortion is probably not obtainable right now. We didn't get here all at once, we're not going to get back all at once. So what you need to do is you need to get achievable objectives and you need to do those and then you need to move on to the next one and you guys have done that. And I, I applaud you. One of the things that Wilson talks about in his book is we have got a better ability to communicate than has ever existed before. And he uses an example. Let's say that your city council is about to do something strange like, oh, maybe drag queen story hour for the little kids in the library. And you're in the city council meeting you can get on the phone and in 10 minutes you can have the place full of people who are clamoring and protesting that's a use of communication, principle of war to help you maneuver, get your forces where they need to be so you have mass and can overwhelm at that point the enemy has countered that and they have countered it by going to virtual meetings how many government meetings now are virtual instead of in person? So it's no longer possible to go into the city council or the county commissioner meeting and say, oh, we're all outraged. It's now done on Zoom. So we'll have to figure something else out. But as I said last time, you guys are punching above your weight, you're doing well. I'm proud of you study this stuff what's the psalm the Lord trains my fingers for battle and my arms so I can bend a bow of bronze this is stuff you should study you should understand it and you should learn to apply it in the area of public policy because that's where the action is right now going against idols because we've made government into an idol all the way from city dog catcher up to Congress of the United States. Now you're probably not going to be able to turn the Congress around but you might be able to get a new dog catcher elected so figure out what's attainable with the resources that you have study how to do it don't just lower your head and run into the glass double doors in front of the city hall you bang your head up use some deception use some maneuver because as I say only a fool charges directly into the main strength of the enemy unless you have overwhelming strength which we don't so you need to use deception, maneuver, all of the tools in the toolkit here to achieve your objectives and this is once over people who study this like I did for a long time spend years whole semesters in war college and so forth this, you know, I've given you a very high level overview but the literature and the Bible are replete with examples if you know what you're looking at so just looking at the gospel what you see is oh God through Yeshua was applying these very principles and this is how it worked out and this is where we are in the process and yes we're going to get to pursuit at some point when he comes back but that's not yet so what we have to do while we're here is we have to continue to engage with the enemy because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full and we really don't want it to get full. We want to turn things around before that happens.